Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. Welcome back. I'm Patrice Sikora here with Jim Cruzan, and in our latest episode, we talked with our friends from One Warm Coat, shedding light on their efforts to bring warmth to those in need across the country. And it really was inspiring. You should listen to it. And now, building on that theme of giving, today we're going to discuss how to seamlessly weave charitable giving into your retirement plans. If you're thinking of retiring with not just comfort, but also a legacy of generosity, you won't want to miss this. So let's get started. Jim, what are some common motivations people have for integrating charitable giving into their retirement plans? Yeah, there are actually uh, several, uh, probably four I can think of off the top of my head. It's it's really kind of amazing how charitable Americans generally are and folks in, in, in North America. I was reading a, a few interesting uh, stats from a from an organization called Giving USA Foundation, and they they're kind of a, a, a data firm that carries a lot of this type of data. And uh, it was really interesting. This last year, twenty twenty two, we actually saw about a three point four percent drop in uh, in gifting, and that on an inflation adjusted basis is is a bit more than ten percent. So it was fairly sizable. And the thing that was really interesting, it was just the fourth time in the last four decades where there was actually a year-over-year drop in the total amount of charitable giving. Wow. So clearly, charitable giving is on the minds of an awful lot of people. So the way we see it, uh, there are tax benefits when you give an item, an asset, or cash there is a deductibility opportunity and that helps to reduce tax bill. Uh, there are some limits on that. And we can get into that in a, in a little bit. There's also the opportunity to leave a lasting legacy, um, something that will certainly last beyond your life. Think of folks that that give money to universities or medical complexes and endow a, a department or, or a school. There's also the ability to simply support causes that you believe in. And uh, we all have certain things that we're passionate about. And this is an opportunity to help that organization continue to flourish and and do good deeds. So some people have a a moral or religious obligation. Uh, They want to give a certain amount of income to a church or charity on a regular basis. And some may very well want to do that kind of and plan for beyond their life expectancy. And that's where charitable planning kind of comes in. So really, the the thought is uh, there's an opportunity here to perhaps with thoughtful giving, do good for the community or your environment, but at the same time, receive some benefits as well. It can be as simple as just wanting to make a difference in the world that you've been a part of. And that's kind of where this whole 
charitable giving kind of comes in. Yeah. The feelings are all wonderful, but as you mentioned, there may be some benefits financially. So tell me more about how giving to charity could possibly benefit a financial situation in retirement. To a large degree, a lot of the benefit centers around tax deductibility. And uh, we can get into kind of the, the weeds in that in, in just, a, just a little bit. So having the ability to command and turn a switch on and receive some tax deductibility can certainly help from the standpoint of offsetting uh, large amounts of income. Let's say that there was a, a windfall or somebody sold a, a business or a building or an enterprise and there's an opportunity to defer some of that tax, offset some of that tax in a particular year, it's very easy at that point to consider some type of a gifting. It also, depending on the gifting, and we'll talk about this in a moment, that there might be some income to beneficiaries or to oneself that's involved. It's sort of like a, a gift with some strings attached. I, I want an income stream now, but when I'm gone, the charity can keep those assets. So you can build income streams and layer in income streams that can certainly help from the standpoint of retirement planning. It can help reduce estate tax because these are irrevocable gifts. Once the gift is made, you can't claw it back. Those assets then are gen generally removed from one's what's referred to as a taxable estate. So when we look at the size of the estate upon death, we may or may not have a taxable event. Uh, those assets clearly would not be taxable because they're outside of the, of the reach of, of the estate. And then the, uh, the the last thing is around capital gains and capital gains tax. Mm. If we have a highly appreciated asset and it and we have charitable intent, it may very well make sense to give that appreciated asset to a charity and then you avoid the capital gains tax on that. If you were to use that asset to do anything else, you'd have to sell it. There would then be this realization of capital gains. So you'd wind up with much, much less than what you originally started with because of the uh, tax hit. Also, in a year where you have a large capital gain, to then make a charitable deduction, that deductible write-off can be used to help offset gains elsewhere within, the, uh, within your tax year. You know, selling a building, having a tax, making a deductible contribution to a charity, one may help offset the other and minimize the effective tax rate. Do you need a strategy for this? I mean, tell me some of the popular strategies for setting this stuff up. Yeah, well, above and beyond anything else, there there needs to be a game plan. <laughs> uh, just in terms of how all of this works together in, in terms of everything else that we want to do. Hey, we, we want an income for retirement, but we want to leave money to our kids and we need to be impactful and thoughtful on what the charitable giving element is, whether it's, it's something that fits into your plans or, or not. But there are a number of different strategies, techniques that are out there. The first, which is probably most encompassing is this charitable remainder trust. And think of that as, a, as an irrevocable trust. Once it's established, the money is in there and it does its thing. There are four different types of charitable remainder trusts. 
And it allows you to really structure when the gift is made and also before the gift is made, what happens with income sources, for example. The first type of trust, and by the way, they're referred to as Kratz, Kratz, Klatz, and Klutz. <laughs> so they're so, and w- there will be a test after this. C R A T is charitable remainder annuity trust. What that is is a legal entity that you would create upon which you would place an asset. Then there would be a calculation made, and the donor, the person who's putting the assets in the trust, would then receive a an income stream off of those assets for a predetermined period of time. Might be a set number of years. It might be lifetime. Mm -hmm. It might be encompassing your lifetime and that of your spouses. The income that is received can be received by the donor. It can also be received by a beneficiary. I'm going to put this money in here, but I want my children to receive that money for a certain period of time. At the end of that term, period certain, lifetime, the the remaining balance goes to the charity. Mm-hmm. One receives a, a charitable deduction on the amount of money that is expected to ultimately go to the charity. And there may be some somewhat of a tax-advantaged income stream off of this type of an annuity. That's CRAT. CRAT is a charitable remainder unit trust. It works exactly the same way. Money is put into this or an asset is put into this. Income is then generated for the benefit of the donor or his or her beneficiaries. And then ultimately the assets are passed on to the charity. The difference is with the charitable remainder annuity trust, the first one we discussed, Mm -hmm. that income stream per month or year is fixed unwavering. It's the same month over month. Think of it like a pension. Mm -hmm. In the case of the charitable remainder unit trust, that amount can vary. Think of that as, hey, my heirs or my children or my wife is going to receive a distribution off of this gift of three or 4% a year. The percentage is the same, but the income amount may vary depending on what 3% is of the, the, the ending value on a year-over-year basis. So that's a crat and a crut. <laughs> a clat or a clut is a charitable lead annuity trust or a charitable lead um, unit, unit trust. trust. Yes. Yes, yes. So with a charitable lead trust, It's just the opposite. It's the mirror image. So in this case, I'm establishing this legal entity. I'm putting money away and it's going to generate income. The income is going to the charity. Completely. And then at the end of that term, the remaining balance remains back with the family. So it's sort of like, hey, I want to I want to use some of my assets for good and I I need to plan around having some of these assets available to me at certain periods of time. So maybe I take a large asset 
that I'm not going to need currently. And I allow the charity to receive the income off of that for a 10-year period. And then at the end of that 10 years, those assets are mine again. Now think of that in terms of what you might be able to do with inheritance or what you can do in terms of layering in income throughout one's retirement. So the difference between a CLAT and a CLUT, the annuity trust or the unit trust, is whether that income that is going to the charity is a fixed finite amount, like a pension each and every year, each and every month, or it's also variable. It's a 3% or 4% distribution off of the corpus year in and year out. So there's a lot of really interesting things that can be done with charitable remainder trusts. There's a deductibility uh, opportunity. It depends on the amount that actually goes to the charity. There's an income situation or a deferred receipt of assets that one has. Don't need the assets now. Let's have the charity have the income. I'll use the assets a bit later. So it's really, really flexible. Are there any time constraints on these? Any minimum time amounts? No. The uh, income can run for life. Let's say in the case of a CLAT, I'm giving all the income to the charity for the rest of my life. Upon my death, those assets now come back into my estate. Uh, My heirs then receive them. Right. Okay. Uh, or, or, Or it can be period certain. We'll do it for five years, 10 years, whatever the case might be. How difficult is it to set one of these up? It, it's not, although it does require a, um, it would be a trust. It would require an attorney to draft documents. There would be some accounting that would be associated as well. It's generally more impactful if the gift is of some substance. It's a l- much larger gift. Uh, you generally would want to use something like this. Uh, there are also other strategies that can be used by anyone who wants to have some kind of a charitable intent, whether it's current or or deferred. And what might they be? <laughs> well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> the, the, the one that uh, I, I find to be most flexible and really easy to understand is the donor-advised fund. And today, they're really available just about everywhere. I uh, all the main investment firms, Vanguard, uh, Fidelity, et cetera, have these available. We use these to a large degree with uh, with many of our clients. And the best way to explain a donor-advised fund, think of it as a, the best way I can describe it is as a charitable 401k. Hmm. So as you know, you put money into a 401k. Uh, there's a, a menu of investment opportunities and you can pick and choose, or you can purchase a kind of a pre-made portfolio. I want to be aggressive or conservative or income-oriented. And then the money grows and it grows tax-deferred. And then at the end, you generally will use that to support your retirement. In the case of a donor-advised fund, it works almost exactly the same. You're putting money in. Instead of putting money into a 401k on a deferred basis, you're making a completed charitable gift. So you're receiving deductibility of that gift right off the bat. The money that's sitting in the donor advised fund can continue to grow over time and grow on a tax-free basis. 
And then down the road, when you make specific gifts, when you're actually removing money from the donor advised fund and, and issuing checks out to charities, there's no tax obviously on that. Now you're not getting another charitable deduction because you okay. got the deduction up front, but it's a really, really useful tool to accumulate some wealth, some value within this charitable camp that then allows you to make perhaps a bit more meaningful gift at some point down the road. Um, we're finding some clients are, are using this also as, a, as an opportunity to kind of teach that next generation uh, that it's important to, to give forward. And uh, it becomes a, a great conversation starter about, look at what we've accumulated. What do we want to do with it? And then let's, let's be uh, mindful of the charities we want to participate in and let's get everybody's point of view. It's certainly something that we're, we're doing within our own family. And I, I find it really quite impactful and continue to uh, contribute to our donor advised fund in spite of the fact that we haven't yet made a gift. So mm -hmm. the, the more money that's in there, the more it grows, the more impactful it ultimately will be. And I do like the idea that it is. it can be a family event. You get together, you decide to whom it will go, why it will go. You have a mission statement, I would think, to start with. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the, the extension of kind of what we used to do, which is, you know, lay out all these requests for $5 for this, $10 for that on our pool table and just let the kids kind of pick out what, what they wanted to donate to. And then I would just write the, you know, five, $10 checks when they were very young. It's uh, it's a little bit more, uh, more meaningful these days. Nice. You've got something else here too, a qualified charitable distribution. Yeah. QCDs are really very impactful as well. And anybody who has an IRA uh, at some point in time may very well want to consider a QCD. It used to be that not that many years ago, uh, you had to do a required minimum distribution off of your IRA no later than at the time you would turn 70 and a half. So the QCDs were available to anyone who was of the age of doing a required minimum distribution or 70 and a half. The age got pushed back in terms of the age you needed to be to do the required minimum distribution. Right. Currently for many, it's 72, 73. And at some point for even younger people, it'll be 75. But they didn't change the age upon which someone can do a qualified charitable distribution. That remains 70 and a half. So whether you have any intent or not of taking money out of your IRA or 401k to support retirement, at 70 and a half, you can still use those assets as a way of, of, of making uh, charitable gifts. Uh, the advantage is it becomes a, it's a direct transfer directly out of the IRA or 401k to the charity. You're not touching the money. You're not receiving the money. It is not going into your checking account. You're not writing a check. What's nice about it is when you get to the age of required minimum distribution, the QCDs can be used as an offset, as mm -hmm. an example. 
if you're required to take $30,000 out of your IRA this year, but over the course of a year, you generally give to a variety of charities $5,000 a year, well, what you can do is take that 5000 directly out of the IRA. It becomes part of the money that will satisfy your RMD, so you only have to distribute another $25,000. Uh, it reduces your modified adjusted gross income. That's important. Yes. If you receive that money, you put it in your checking account, and then you write those checks, you may very well be able to write off those charitable contributions. It will reduce your taxable income, but it doesn't reduce your modified adjusted gross income. So running the money this way not only reduces taxable income, but it reduces modified adjusted gross income. And the reason that's important is some people get really surprised by the fact that when you're over 65 and on Medicare, mm -hmm. the amount you pay for your Medicare premium has everything to, to do with what is your modified adjusted gross income. And the higher the income is, the greater the premium is that you pay for those kinds of things. So to be able to manage that and be able to work that number down through charitable intent can really be a, a huge benefit because it becomes a, a legitimate cost savings in terms of what you're paying for Medicare, in addition to a tax deduction as well. And, and when I say tax deduction, uh, let me be very clear. You don't get two deductions. The deduction you're really getting is the fact that you're using monies that normally would be taxable and you're allowed to move it to a charity without incurring the tax on that. Uh, you're not also getting a charitable deduction as well. Otherwise, it would be kind of double counting mm -hmm. that, uh, right. that benefit. But it's, uh, it's hugely impactful. We have a number of clients who do that and they just simply submit a list of uh, here are the charities, here are the dollar amounts, and we go about our business of issuing out third-party checks directly from the IRA. And it's a way of really reducing some degree of uh, taxation through a reduction in modified adjusted gross income. And also, again, you're, you're giving, you're giving. Um, how, about, Absolutely. how about estate planning? I mean, we've got a couple of things here, individual trusts and whatnot, but how about whole estate planning? Yeah. Planning around an estate is it, it, it's important and we should be aware of it. But for the average saver, the average retiree, it's probably not something that we're going to have to really fret over. Right now, uh, for an individual, the estate limit, the size that an estate can be without tripping estate tax which is above and beyond probate and all the other taxations that go with settling an estate, the estate tax can be very prohibitive. It is very expensive. It is a significant reduction in, in one's estate, but that tax doesn't kick in until the estate is um, in excess of 12.92 million dollars. And that's per person. Yeah. Okay. So, so think about it. Think about a couple. Yeah. yeah. It'd be well in excess of 25 uh, million. But in the event that somebody has an estate tax issue, their estate is, is clearly over that limit, giving to a charity, getting the money removed 
from an estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps to shrink the size of the estate and certainly helps to reduce the tax effect on that estate. And as I said before, there are ways that you can still create a charitable deduction without necessarily losing some degree of income or in, in, in some cases, the, some of that that gift can be kind of brought back. Um, so check tax laws, check with your your tax uh, professional as to what makes the most sense. Uh, you certainly, uh, if you make a gift with strings attached, meaning, hey, I'm going to get some of this money back, obviously that probably is included back in your taxable estate. So you'd want to take a look at that. But for just about everybody, there are things that you can certainly do from the perspective of getting your documents in order that can benefit a charity. Putting a bequest in with respect to your will. Money's going to my my kids and my grandkids, and I'd like to make a, a gift of X number of dollars to this charity or that charity. You can do it as well by naming a uh, a charity as a beneficiary on a retirement account. Maybe I make my my wife my primary beneficiary, and in the event something were to happen to both of us, my children are contingent beneficiaries, but maybe instead of it being 50% each, we have two children, maybe it's 40% each and uh, the other remainder, the 20%, I might identify several charities who I'd want to make a direct gift to. So that certainly works as well. Uh, The other thing that can be done is somebody can make a gift through life insurance. You know, I'd like to make a really impactful gift. Uh, I'd like to make a substantial gift. I really don't have the wherewithal to make that kind of gift, but I might have the wherewithal to make premium payments into a life insurance policy that upon my death will balloon to a million dollars. So over my life, I might have to spend and make a gift of several hundred thousand which then becomes a gift of a million dollars upon my death. So it's a way of kind of leveraging life insurance to make a, a much more impactful uh, gift. I think that sounds like a very, very simple thing to do. It's, a, it's, it's very simple. And charities will certainly be more than happy to help you with the, the, the workarounds of what, what's needed and, and how to structure something right. like that. In fact, one of the things that charities uh, will do, we, we talked about charitable remainder trust, and, and in particular, the, the, the CRAT, the Charitable Remainder Annuity Trust, mm-hmm. which, again, provides an income stream, a fixed income stream to the, the donor or the beneficiary. And then the original gift, whatever's left, goes to the charity. That's something that as a donor, you would create. It involves attorneys. There's some accounting. It would be a trust that would live on for a period of time. And there's some cost to carry that throughout. A much simpler way of accomplishing nearly the exact same thing is a charitable gift annuity. This is something that is usually provided directly by a charity. It's uh, it's a tool that they use to elicit contributions. And in some charities, 
you can establish a charitable gift annuity for as little as $5,000. So it's not a significant gift that we're talking about. And think of it as a just a really inexpensive way of establishing a CRAT. You give the charity a certain amount of money. They're going to then calculate an annuity payment that they're going to pay you for a period certain or the mm-hmm. rest of your life. And then at the end of that term, those assets remain with, with the charity. Right. So you you get a charitable deduction to the extent of what the projected gift will be. Because it's an annuity, part of the income that you receive is considered return of principal. So not a hundred percent of the income you receive is is fully taxable. So there's some tax uh, advantage there. And again, it's a useful planning tool. I am charitably inclined, but I really don't have the estate mm-hmm. to be able to make a big gift today because I need this money to drive my retirement equation. So maybe I establish a charitable gift annuity where I can receive income now while I'm alive and then make sure that the the gift is completed. Um, Charities prefer this because they know the money's going to them right away, as opposed to a promise of, hey, I'll I'll put you in my will. Uh, (laughs) Believe me, at the end, you're going to get some money. Uh, they, they sort of have their claws in you at the beginning, which is a good thing for them. And it provides the income you need as well. So a charitable gift annuity is something that, uh, those who are charitably inclined and thinking of making a more substantial gift certainly may, may want to consider. Talk to me about the differences between giving cash and giving something like stocks. Right. Uh, There actually is a difference. And the difference really for most people has really little to do with what will ultimately be deductible or not. Uh, Generally, most gifts are are fully deductible. The difference comes into what the, the limit is on what one can give and deduct in any given year. And, and that has to do with the type of gift it is generally. Uh, it used to be any type of gift at all was usually a I had a, a limit of you couldn't give any more than fifty percent of your adjusted gross income. So your adjusted gross income again is essentially your income minus very few deductions. Usually, if you're deferring into a four hundred one k, it's 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 that number. And, and your taxable income is much less than that. So it's a number that's much higher than your taxable income. So today that's been lifted. And on, on cash distributions or cash gifts, I'm making a gift of cash. Um, the limit now is 60% of adjusted gross income. Oh. I think the exception is California. They still are at 50%. And then there's also a, a separate calculation made to appreciated assets that are held over a year. So think of, I've got a a bunch of stock that I bought years and years ago. I've got big capital gains. I really can't afford to get hit with those gains now. That would be a 20% tax. 
let me just give that money or give that asset to a charity. And I can avoid the the tax and get a charitable deduction on the current value. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons that that is very attractive. Uh, the limit on that type of a gift is 30% of adjusted gross income. So it's important to understand the giving strategy, what types of assets you're planning on giving, what the limits are, and what is deductible or not. That said, if you find that you've exceeded in gifting the amount that you can deduct in any one year, you have the ability to carry that uh, charitable deduction forward for a maximum of five years. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So if you're if you're getting close, uh, but the numbers just didn't quite work out and you're a little bit over, not a problem. You can take it next year. Better than going the year after. Saying, I need that money back right now. Correct. You can't, you can't yeah. have right now. No, 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 no. You're, you're, yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Really? really. <laughs> this has been fantastic, Jim. Are there any other tips, though, that you want to make sure we mention here, along with talking to a professional, because these things really have to be walked through. You've got to understand what you're getting yourself, I won't say into, but I'm going to say into, getting th- the, the plan structured. But are there any other tips that you think people should know about? Yeah, the best best advice is before you enter into any kind of a uh, a gifting strategy, is is do your homework. Yeah, and and what I mean by that is understand your liquidity needs. What is it that you're going to need to drive this this lifestyle, this retirement? We refer to it as a bigger, bolder retirement. What is needed to do that? Once you have an understanding of that, then the next thing you better have clarity on is how do your children or grandchildren fit into that? Mm. We use the term legacy, and and some people can think of that as you know a name on a building. Uh, it can also be direct gifts to your heirs. That's legacy as well. So what what is needed in terms of legacy planning? What would you like to see the kids get? Are you planning on just having the kids get everything or are they getting a portion? Is some of this money going elsewhere? Because knowing what you're planning on giving to the children can also have huge impacts on portfolio structure. You know, as an example, if I've got a client who's in his mid 70s and he's retired and he's using some of his portfolio to drive part of this cash flow. That account's probably going to be fairly conservative. It's probably going to be mm-hmm. more income oriented. Uh, it might have dividends or interest off of bonds or something to that effect on the portfolio. And the idea is it's probably going to be less volatile. But if he has an intent to leave assets to children, and he has the ability to not necessarily have to use all the assets, and he has, let's say, a, a Roth IRA uh, that's tax-free. Well, maybe that's a perfect vehicle upon which to leave to that next generation because that's all growing at a tax-free rate. And because it's money that we've agreed, you'll probably never, ever, ever need to use to drive his retirement. Maybe that account can be structured more aggressively and more growth-oriented, which better aligns what he's hoping to accomplish with respect to that. So we get the liquidity issues correct. We get a better understanding of what we want to do with heirs, 
children, grandchildren, etc. And only after that, we can really, truly start focusing in on what we want to do from a, a charitable point of view. And at that point, we can we can look at the trade-offs. Maybe we still need a bit of retirement income. Well, then maybe we look at Kratz, Kratz and other things to provide both. Then the last thing we need to do, once we understand that, hey, we really, truly want to be charitable, there's got to be some kind of vetting out. There's got to be some kind of due diligence uh, that we want to do with respect to the charities. There are all kinds of good causes out there, but it, it never fails. Every year, usually around the holidays, there's some news story about this huge scam uh, that was running for many years uh, that was supposed to be a charity, but really wasn't. And we, so we need to understand what that looks like. There's a really good resource, the, the Milken uh, Institute, that's uh, M-I-L-K-E-N, Milken Institute, has a, a white paper, which is uh, called Conducting Philanthropic Due Diligence. And if you read through that, it'll, it'll jog your mind a bit as to some of the things you might want to consider. In addition, uh, there are a couple of online resources as well. Uh, there's a resource called Candid. C-A-N-D-I-D, which will give you a lot of information about many of the charities and they score them as to those that are most mm -hmm. efficient or not. You know, some charities are really quite efficient. They're, they don't have a brick and mortar presence and, and nearly every penny of every dollar goes right to their charitable intent. And then there are other charities that have become these monstrous organizations of hierarchy and infrastructure. And really, most of what the money is being spent on are the resources needed to get more donations. And it just doesn't get to the bottom line. So Candid will help sort some of that out. Charity Watch, W-A-T-C-H, uh, will also provide that type of information as will Charity Navigator. And I think we'll have all of those resources in the show notes. So uh, hopefully that will help. So understand retirement, get that squared away. Understand where we want to be with legacy and heirs and children and grandchildren. Then we can structure a really meaningful charitable strategy that will accomplish everything you want from a legacy perspective, retirement perspective, et cetera. And Jim, I think you just wrapped it up beautifully right there. Listeners, there we have it. We have covered the essence of integrating charitable giving into your retirement plans. If one warm coat moved you in our last episode, today's guidance aims to pave the way for your own legacy of generosity. And as you plan for a fulfilling retirement, remember it's also a chance to leave a mark on the causes that are dearest to you. Just be sure to always consult with experts to navigate this terrain wisely. Please be sure to subscribe to the Retirement Engineer podcast so you don't miss future episodes and follow at Caden Wealth on social. Let us know what you think in the comments and please share topics you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. Following and sharing this podcast helps our small show make a larger impact. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800-638-6900.
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests, not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.